Pastor Ed Taylor says this is not the time to be asleep. Jesus is coming soon. God's will for your life is to take your relationship with him seriously. To let it be the most serious thing that you pay attention to. To let it become the most serious commitment in your life. To get back, if you need to be, to that place where the Bible says that in order to follow Jesus, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. This is no time of game playing for the life of the believer. No time to be sidetracked. No time to get involved in things that have no eternal value. But rather, the command is to be serious. Sober up, church. Wake up. This is amazing grace. Recently on Abounding Grace, we've been receiving God's encouragement and instruction for the difficult seasons in life through a study of 1 Peter, and that continues today. When you're going through a tough time, that's a good time to recall Jesus' promise to come again. Not only will that encourage our hearts, but will give us perspective and help us persevere. Pastor Ed Taylor is in chapter 4. Take your Bibles open then to 1 Peter chapter 4 as we pick up where we left off in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I have good news and I have bad news. Don't you hate that? I mean, why don't you just give me the good news? Keep the bad news for yourself. I don't know how you are, but when somebody comes to me like that, I, I always prefer the bad news first. Just get it out of the way, tell me what I need to hear, so that we can end our conversation with good news. But today, that's what I want to share with you, the good news, that Jesus Christ is alive and is coming again soon. Jesus promised in John 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. So that where I am, Jesus says, there you may be also. And where I go, the way you know. And this has been and continues to be the most encouraging promise of Jesus that Christians have held on to since the day of Pentecost. The soon return of Jesus. Every generation of believers have lived expecting his soon return. And I believe God intended it that way. That every generation would be looking to him and living in a sense where purity and growth and dependence would be rooted in the fact that Jesus could return at any moment. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He's revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone, listen, everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. And that's just the best news that I can hear as a Christian today in whatever we're facing. 
That's just the best news to know that this is not all there is. That we have an eternal heavenly hope. That my Savior and my King and my Lord is returning for me to fulfill His promises in my life. And it's true. Things can be very, very tough right now. And difficulties abound. But the good news is that Jesus is coming again. And we get to be a part of His work on the earth until He does. Notice with me in verse 7 now, with that in mind, in 1 Peter chapter 4. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Notice verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one, for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, verse 11, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory, the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. The early church believed that Jesus was returning soon. And because of what they're going through, and because of all of the challenges they face, and because they realize that the coming of the Lord is closer than ever before, there are responsibilities. We're not just to check out on life and say, well, you know, the Lord's coming back. We'll just live however we want. He's going to return. We, we don't need to pay attention. We don't need to be good citizens. But no, he says, because the end of things are at hand, be serious and be watchful in your prayers. As you anticipate the soon return of Jesus, it requires a seriousness and a faithfulness and a prayerfulness in your life. We're living in times that are amazingly swirling out of control. We are watching things literally unfold right before our eyes. And I think the real surprising part isn't that we've studied this in the Bible for years and years and years, and we know it's coming, and we know it's predicted, and we see the hints along the way. I think one of the great surprises that we're really facing right now is that we're seeing with our own eyes so much of what's predicted. Like, it's kind of like, you know, we think the Lord's going to come back, and we won't have to experience, we won't have to see it, but God is telling us right now, no. I want to show you a lot of things. I want to give you insight into the days in which you live. And with that insight comes a call to seriousness and watchfulness. And you know that the times that we're living in are calling for more seriousness. Listen, God's will for your life is to take your relationship with Him seriously. To let it be the most serious thing that you pay attention to. To let it become the most serious commitment in your life. To give back if you need to be to that place where the Bible says that you, in order to follow Jesus, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. This is no time of game playing for the life of the believer. No time to be sidetracked. No time to get up, on, get up involved in things that have no eternal value. But rather, the command is to be serious. Some translations might translate that sober. Sober up, church. Wake up. The coming of the Lord is at hand. And we're closer to the Lord's return than ever before. Jesus, I mean, think about it. Jesus could come out of heaven at any moment with that glorious trumpet sound. And Peter knows what he's talking about here. He knows what it's like to be sleeping when you should be awake. He knows what it's like to fall asleep in a time of its most urgent need. You'll remember in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 40, he was sleeping in the garden while Jesus was praying. 
It says, then he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And here's the thing. This is Jesus says this and we all say amen to it. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it's just true. I've been blessed to see and to hear more and more men and women, especially in the times in which we live, come back to a place of seriousness within the life of our own church. Place of seriousness, watchfulness, to hear of the prayers that are being lifted, to know that, man, we as a church can affect eternity through our prayer lives. But we're not going to affect eternity just by sleepwalking and not paying attention to the days in which we live. Be serious, church. Watchful continually alert. You can circle that word watchful and right next to it, continually alert. Continually alert, sober-minded. Notice verse 8. And above all things, so you be serious, yes, Lord. Be watchful, yes, Lord. Be prayerful, yes, Lord. And above all things, wait a minute, something more important than being serious? Something more important than be watchful? Something more important than being prayerful? Yes. Above all things, have a fervent love. Notice, for one another, in the church, among us. This is the proving ground for our love for one another. I know we rub each other long, wrong way. I know that we cause difficulties for each other. I know that we sin against each other. Uh, you know, prayerfully, it's not willfully. It's not on purpose. But the reality of us having friction and difficulties, that happens. But love covers a multitude of sins. Above all things, have that fervent. Remember, we've already looked at that word. It means to be on fire. It means to be, it's along the lines of seriousness. Have a real burning love for one another. And one way to check the temperature on our love for one another is whether we are covering sin. Now, let's be clear here. In covering sin, Peter is not saying that we excuse sin in the body of Christ. Peter is not saying we make excuses and we overlook sin quite the opposite. I mean, even if you ever take the Bible and read into it that sin's not serious, then you don't understand the cross of Jesus Christ. If sin wasn't serious, then God would not have to send his only begotten son to die on your behalf, on your sinful behalf and mine. So sin is serious. So this covering is not a covering where we don't take sin seriously. And by the way, if you're new here to Calvary, I just want you to know, we take sin seriously. It may make you uncomfortable, and you may not like it. But let me tell you something. You walk into a church that doesn't take sin seriously, get out of that church. That's not a church following Jesus. You need to hear about your current condition before God. Until you fully understand sin, you'll never really appreciate the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace and the goodness of God. And so we take sin seriously. But we also know that love covers we know that love covers. We're not wanting to excuse sin, but we're wanting to forgive sin. There's a great illustration of this. Come back with me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. I want you to see this. I want you to mark it. Even in your Bibles, write the cross-references so you can always refer to this. It's such a beautiful picture of what covering sin looks like. And here in chapter 9 of Genesis, after many days of tossing and turning upon the floodwaters, the ark finally comes to a rest. Noah and his family, they exit the ark to repopulate the earth. And they're excited about their new life. But it appears that Noah gets a little too excited. 
And he begins to make serious mistakes, sinful mistakes. Pick up with me in verse 20. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was, what does your Bible say? Drunk. One of the first things recorded of Noah after he gets off the ark is he starts to farm and he gets drunk on the fruit of the vine. And he becomes uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and notice, told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and went backward, covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. What a picture of two types of people in the church. One we could call unloving, and the other we can call loving. On one side, we have Ham here in verse 22. Notice it it describes him as seeing the nakedness of his father. And I guess the best way to understand this is there is, just put the word drunken next to it. He's this drunken nakedness. The kind of behavior that comes from an out of control drunken person. It doesn't just simply, you know, his his clothes falling off. It is, there's some kind of connotation of drunken sinfulness, sexual debauchery here. And his son sees it. And the very first thing he does is he sees and he tells. That is not what's being described. That's not a loving thing to do. That's not what's being described by Peter here. It's not very loving to see someone's drunken sinfulness and to tell. Instead of rushing in to help his own dad, what does he do? He seeks to expose and advertise it. He seeks to humiliate his dad. If his drunken, as if his drunken nakedness wasn't already humiliating, now that it's been revealed to him, Ham makes a conscious choice to make it worse for his dad. To make it worse. On the other side, we have the brothers Shem and Japheth in verse 23. What do they do? Well, when they hear of their father's drunken nakedness, when they hear it, notice they have no desire to see it. Because it's just things when you see, you can't unsee. There's just things when you see, you can't unsee. That's one of the great reasons why you'll hear strong words against pornography here. There are things you see that you won't be able to unsee. And it will corrupt you on the inside. You, You want, like Job said, you want to make a covenant with your eyes between you and the Lord and keep your eyes and your heart pure. Your eyes are the gateway into your soul. And there's things you see you just can't unsee. So they choose to avoid. They don't want to unsee it. They don't want to see it to be unsee. So what do they do? It says that they take a garment, they put it on their shoulders, and they walk in backwards. And notice the word in the Hebrew, they covered the nakedness of their dad. They cover him. They don't expose him, make fun of him. They cover him. Jot it down in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. It says, he who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. You know, those that repeat matters are called gossips. That's the sin of gossip. And there's a lot of gossip going on that's not being called gossip today. There's a lot of the desire to know things about people and find out the difficult. There's a lot of gossip going on both with mouth, with word, and with ears. And it just isn't loving. 
And it's, you know, you think the world doesn't notice that stuff. They do. They pay attention. They watch very carefully those men and women that claim the name of Jesus Christ. And they know. And they can see love. They may not be able to, you know, call it agape. You know, they may not be able to be all three words in the four words in the Greek that the Greeks use for love. They may not be able to quote chapter and verse. But they know love when they see it. They understand a supernatural work of God. And so in these last days, when all things are going out of control, above all things, church, have fervent love for one another. But instead, in the days in which we live, we have pastors and preachers and people making fun of others in the current culture, calling them names. Not at all reflecting the love of, of Jesus, but I mean, this is the church. This, this church over here has got this decision. This church over here has got this decision. So the pastor, in order to curry favor from his fellowship, starts calling names calling names of people in other churches. I mean, as I've shared previously, I've never seen the church so divided in all the years of ministry. And it's not God's will for you to be name-calling. It's not God's will for you to be exposing things. It's not God's will for you and I to elevate our opinions above the Word of God. What's God's will? Above all things, have fervent love for one another. And just understand, we're not going to see things the same way. We're not going to always agree on things. We're going to rub each other the wrong way. There's going to be friction among us. There's even going to be sin among us. And the remedy for sin is repentance and forgiveness. Walking in backwards. I don't want to be a part of it. Let's just get to the root and let's just solve it. Let's cover it. Dad's going to get sober soon enough. The situation's going to pass soon enough. And once we all sober up, or once Pop's sober up, then we can talk to him. And then we can help the brother. And then we can say, look, look, Dad, Dad, listen, that it wasn't wise. Good to be a farmer, bad to get drunk. Do you know what you did? I mean, in today's age, it would be snapped up and put on Snapchat, and it would be put on Instagram. Look at my dad, look at my dad. But that's not fervent love, exposing and advertising. Peter says love covers a multitude of sins. We're not talking about them. We're not posting it on social media. We're not making five different phone calls. We're not mentioning them in our prayer meetings. We're walking in backwards. We're covering. We're helping. We're restoring. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a brother is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love covers. Doesn't excuse, but also doesn't expose. And this is for these last day believers. This is what God is looking for from his church. This is what he's filling us with his Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit right, off the, right out of the gate. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such, there is no law, the Bible says. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory, dominion forever and ever. 
This is so cool because the, the word of love, what love does when it's flowing through a church is it, it serves to move people in ministry. Remember, when we think of the word minister, we don't think of the title or the position. Well, you know, like you, you can't think today, well, Pastor Ed, you're the minister, so you get to minister, and we're the spectators, and then maybe one day we might be able to grow up into ministry. That's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what we believe. We believe what the Bible teaches in the priesthood of all believers, that every one of us is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What makes us different is our giftings. What makes us different is how, what, what maybe our maturity, the role that God may have for us, but all of us are ministers. And it doesn't matter where our paycheck comes from, whether you receive your paycheck from the government because you're up at Buckley, or you receive your paycheck from Safeway, or you receive your paycheck from the Olive Garden. It doesn't matter. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you were born again, you were born again to abide in Christ and to serve him wholeheartedly. And little by little, God is maturing you and growing you. And it's not that I have to do anything, and it's not that you have to do anything. It's that we get to serve the Lord. We get to minister. One of the ways we minister to one another is we're hospitable. Pastor Ed on Abounding Grace. We've been in 1 Peter chapter 4 today, and you can hear this program again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. So, Pastor Ed, as we close things out, you mentioned one of the ways we can minister to one another as servants of Christ is to be hospitable. Can you think of some practical ways we can do that? There's a lot of different ways that we can be hospitable, Larry, as we think through of connecting with other people. One way that Jesus did, and very culturally among the Jews even to this day, is over food. So whether it's breakfast, whether it's over coffee, whether it's having someone over to the house, whether it's opening your home for a small home Bible study, having a prayer meeting. Food is a great connection point where, where fellowship takes place as you're sharing the same dishes, sitting at the same table, in the same place. It, it helps to open up our homes, open up our pocketbooks, open up our minds. I mean, think about it when we come to church just to practice on other believers. As we come to church and we're greeting one another, when's the last time you just looked, hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee? And you're like, but Ed, I don't know them. Yeah, but you just don't know them yet. Uh, and a lot of the churches, like ours, uh, we have a coffee house. So it's not even like you have to go anywhere. Hey, you know, we're sitting next to each other. Um, let's go down and share a cup of coffee and let's pray for one another. You know, 15, 20 minutes and and you're purchasing the coffee. I think the hospitality of the church for us individually can only increase as we step into people's lives, make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit, and begin to invite people into our lives and ask for God to open up doors to step in people's lives. A, a, an area where you can begin those relationships is through prayer. It is through connection, connection points. It is talking about the message. You know, and again, at work, you have those relationships at work. You can bring donuts in. Uh, you can bring muffins in. You can bring gluten-free stuff in for the gluten-free people. Like there's a lot of connection points that the Holy Spirit will use. Uh, I know when I was in the corporate world, there would be a gal that would make things for us, you know, little pot holders. I still remember to this day, pot holders. Others would bring in tamales. Uh, others would bring in pie. I mean, just these little connection points that the Lord will use. Just go for it and watch God use you. Great ideas there. Thanks for sharing. 
Is there an afterlife? What is heaven like? How will we spend our time there? And what does it mean to see God face to face? Questions like these enter our minds as we contemplate what's next after we die. In The Case for Heaven, Lee Strobel investigates the evidence for life after death. You'll read fascinating conversations with respected scholars and experts, including a neuroscientist from Cambridge University who has analyzed a thousand accounts of near-death experiences. You'll receive compelling reasons for why death isn't the end of our existence, but a transition to an exciting world to come. Request a copy of The Case for Heaven today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And as the costs of being on the radio are growing, we're looking to the Lord to provide for us. If he's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that'll do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in First Peter here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.